Welcome to season six of Mile High Theology. Thank you for your patience as we planned for this season during our summer hiatus. Season five was our richest season yet as we discussed the numerous ways people across Denver, Colorado, and the world are fighting for their communities against the climate crisis. We are taking a completely different subject matter this season. Sacred texts, not only of Christianity, but other Abrahamic religions. In every episode of this season, we will get to know our guests, who will in turn lead us in a conversational text study with a text of their choosing. Let me make one thing clear, if you will, about our methodology this season. These conversations are not meant to be exercises in comparative religion or theology. Yes, I am an Episcopal priest who serves an Episcopal parish, but that does not mean I have to always lay out the quote-unquote Christian reading of a given text. Instead, our time together will be spent in prayerful engagement through listening and curiosity, wherein we seek to inhabit our guest perspectives and hopefully leaving our time together and leave our time together with a deeper appreciation of people from other faith traditions and religions and their respective ways of reading their sacred texts. If I were a betting person, I'd bet that this process, this humility, this curiosity will enrich us, leaving us as better and more whole people. So with that, I ask you to give a warm Mile High Theology welcome to our first guest of season six, Rabbi Emily Hyatt, Associate Rabbi for Temple Emanuel in Denver. So number one, thank you for just being here, being present, choosing these texts, and being such an inspirational leader to people of faith in Denver. Number two, um, if you would, before you introduce the two portions of these sacred texts, please tell listeners from your perspective what makes for generative, creative interpretation of the Torah. But even before that, if you would, um, for our listeners who are unfamiliar, please just introduce the Torah to us. Yes, absolutely. And I'm going to take a little bit of privilege in that and also introduce myself. Because I think um, it's really important to know um, from whom you are learning. Because I as we all do, come with a particular perspective that is based on, I think, my experiences, and to be able to just know what that is so that you know how to engage with whatever it is that I have to say, to me, is usually really important. Um, I think it's an, an important perspective to have. So first of all, uh, hi, and thank you so much <laughs> for having me. I'm so thrilled and excited to be here. Um, 
my um, the important thing I think to know about any introduction is just that that I am um, an associate rabbi at a g giant reform synagogue and other principles that are in line with what we know from the Enlightenment. Um, and and so that is, I think, a basis for this conversation is that individual ownership of your own religious identity and theology is a really important part of Reform Judaism. The other piece that I want to say about me is that I didn't grow up in the Reform movement. I grew up um, a little bit more traditional, and um, most of my Jewish experiences were not movement-specific. They were pluralistic in nature, which means that they are intentionally a gathering of lots of different flavors of Jewish people who come from different places who are intentionally engaging with their differences. And so that is a... a platform also that I really love. Um, so those are two really important things to me. I'll tell you that I, um, um, I'm a parent. I um, have a six-year-old. I'm a single mom. I'm divorced. And those are really important things also when I think about what is my outlook on life? What are the things that I bring to the table as a part of my identity that shape the way that I see the world? So um, I put those out on the table so that you know them. Because as we engage with Torah, we believe you bring your whole self, those parts of you that help you know how you identify with the world and how you understand the choices and the questions that are coming at you all of the time. We all have different identities. Sometimes I introduce myself really differently. It depends on the day, mm. right? What are the things that are framing my identity today? Um, and with that... To your other question, um, what makes for generative, creative interpretation of the Torah? And I guess the answer to that is very much um, a follow-up mm. to the first piece of this, which is that you bring you mm. and that your lens, whatever these, we're going to look at some texts today um, from the beginning and from the end of the Torah. The Torah is, for those who are not familiar with this, um, with, with the language that I'm using, and I will continue to define my terms, and if you're not sure what on earth I'm saying, please ask me. Um, the Torah is the five books of Moses. It is the first part of the Hebrew Bible. You know, the Hebrew Bible is made up of the five books of Moses, and then it's made up by the, book of, uh, by the books of the prophets, and then the writings. That's how we understand them as a Jewish community, um, and the Torah is the first chunk of that. The Torah, in Jewish tradition, is the only part of the Hebrew Bible where we have an idea, one that I wrestle with on a regular basis, um, that it is divine, meaning that the Torah are words from God. And that's mm. part of what I wrestle with. When we get to the book of prophets and to the book of writings, we are pretty confident that those were written by human people. Mm. The Torah, on the other hand, we get to really debate about that, about where did it come from and who wrote it and how many wrote it if it was not God. Um, and so that's a part of the wrestling because for us, and we'll get more into this, that really changes how we understand Judaism. If God gave this text to us, we have to look at it differently than if people gave this text to us. Mm. Um, and so wrestle we will. So what makes creative, generative text study is asking hard questions and being open to um, the struggle with the answers to those questions. And most importantly, I think being fairly confident, if nothing else, you will not walk away with the answer 
<laughs> right? Mm. Very, very uh, infrequently, I think, do we answer our questions. Um, if we do it right, you walk away with more questions. Yeah. And, and if we could remember, if you would remind me that we can touch on this a little bit later, mm -hmm. one of the things that was most compelling to me about our conversation a couple of weeks ago is this motif of Jacob wrestling with God yeah. in Genesis um, and that being a model of kind of um, our relationship to sacred texts, our relationship to God. Yeah, totally. Um, um, and we can come back to it mm -hmm. for sure. And um, if you remember the story um, uh, from the very beginning of this Torah that we are talking about, um, that Jacob, it, he lies down, right? And he puts his head on a rock, which just makes us all feel super cozy. Um, <laughs> and like, we're so ready to uh, snuggle. Um, um, and he's and on this journey that he goes on, he does a lot of different things. There's dreaming, there's ladders, right? There's all kinds of different things that happen with Jacob when he's on this road, on this journey that he's on. And Jacob is his name only at the beginning of the story. Mm. Because at some point, he starts to wrestle with this ish in Hebrew, which means man, but which we understand to be an angel and to be a representative of God. And they like physically fight each other, right? And there's like a whole, there's like a hip socket situation that happens and it gets a little crazy in there. And at the end of that experience, Jacob's name is changed to Yisrael, which means one who wrestled with God. Mm. And it's a point of pride, right? That is a, that is a, we're not mad at him for wrestling with God. We're like, oh, there you go. And we become, right, the, the children of Israel. That's how we're, that, that's how we're called in the rest of um, these books, is that we're the children of Israel. We're the children of that guy who took on God and that we want to be, right? It's, that's how we know ourselves. And so that, that's the whole point. That's, and, and, and as a text that we share, right, that that is where we came from. We are sourced from the guy who wrestled with God. And it's not about winning or losing. It's about taking it on. Because if you're doing it right, you're not winning or losing. You're coming away with even more stuff to wrestle with. And sometimes a limp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And sometimes a little, you get, like, if you don't get a little bit wrecked in the process, have you even done it? <laughs> so let's get our limp. Okay. And let's dive in Perfect. at your lead. Okay. All right. So um, <clears throat> I think what we are looking at is um, in our text, there's two sides. And um, we left a lot of space here. Um, so if you look on our sheet, there's one piece that says, one side that says the beginning and one side that says the end. Um, we're going to start in the beginning because it's a very fine place to start. <laughs> and um, we're going to actually, like, it's not just like a little bit the beginning, it's really the beginning. And so when we, and here's how we do this in, in Jewish text study, we're going to read a little bit and then we're going to talk a little bit. You, you have to ask questions and participate. I'm going to ask you questions. You have to answer it or it's going to get so boring so fast. So buckle up. And we're starting Genesis, which is the first of those five books of Moses that we were talking about. We're starting at the beginning of Genesis chapter one, which we know at the beginning, there is um, nothing. 
So we're going to start in the nothing, and we're going to read through the first um, few verses of this. And um, uh, yeah, so um, we um, also look like to look at the Hebrew mm -hmm. and at the English, because sometimes we know that translation is commentary. Right, we don't often um, remember that whatever we, however we decide to hear something or interpret it or translate it, it means that we're automatically doing it through a lens, which is helpful to remember. So here's where we're going to start in our Hebrew. We won't read the whole thing in Hebrew because what a waste of um, everybody's right, like translating time. But I will tell you when I find that the translation is, I want to change it. So I'll I'll tell you when we're going to change the translation that's on here. So it begins in the text. Um, that's the beginning of the Torah. Ba means in. Reshit means beginning. We are two weeks from the Jewish holiday Rosh Hashanah, which is our beginning of the year, the new year, the Jewish mm. high holy days. Rosh means head. And Rosh and Resh, Reshit here, are the same root. So in the beginning, at, which is like, this is where it begins, like at the head of the world essentially, and we're about to be at the beginning of the year, the head of the year. Bara means create. Elohim is a name for God. Et hashamayim. Shamayim is like the sky. The et haaretz, and the aretz is uh, the land. So that's what we begin with. And it says, we go on to say, that the earth was tohu vavohu, mm. which we translate here as unformed and void, but also is like, it was, it was chaos. <laughs> it was there's that we don't have any words for what it was because it was something that we don't have because it was taken from nothingness to somethingness and it says and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the and the and the wind of god was blowing or sweeping uh, over the face of the water. Which, if we're being honest, sounds creepy, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, and yeah. scary. There's nothing, and there's darkness, and it's windy. <laughs> yeah. Which, which for me, right, like we say this in this like, oh my gosh, what a beautiful way that the world is created. And a lot of that to me sounds like the makings for um, a little bit of like uh, horror sci-fi <laughs> right um like i flash back a little bit to the beginning of armageddon uh the bruce willis mm. right ben mm -hmm. affleck Liv tyler okay um and what i am thinking is like the way that they show the meteor like rocketing through space where like it is in fact windy and dark and like w what is a m the meteor it's like nothing there's just like spikes coming out of a giant it's terrifying yeah. right this is, this is not, I think, calm and peaceful nothing. This is energy nothing because mm. something is about to happen and start and be created. And so what happens in the deep, dark, creepy, whatever that we have? Vayomer Elohim or or And God says, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light uh, and saw that it was good. And so what does God do? God separates the light from the dark, good, 
and God calls the day, uh, calls the light day, and calls the darkness night, and there's evening, and there is morning, a first day. Mm. Okay, so in my brain, this paragraph, this first five verses of the Torah, um, actually tells us a lot, but also tells us nothing at all. So I want you, like, take a second, look back at this text, and if you would just tell me, like, what is one question that is unanswered for you here? This does not have to have, like, giant theological implications. What are the questions that are unanswered for you here? Because we have so little information. We have five verses about the fact that the first day already happened. What do you not know? Because sometimes we start better with what we don't know than what we do know. So what do we not know? I, I guess... I've always thought of God as someone who had a plan for everything. Ah. And reading this at the moment makes it seem like, hey, I created light. Well, hold on a second. Maybe we need some dark in the mix, too. So why was there a need to create a moment of separation? Maybe that's yes. something I, I walk away from this not knowing. I love that. Because every word, in theory, is intentional. And what that means is that in every single word, we get to wonder what was the intention so why does God create light and not dark? And why does there need to be a separation? Like, was it, what, it, what is that that was created? If the light and dark were like mushed together and had to be separated, what, what must that have been like? Great. What a good question. What else? Anything else that you're thinking of that, you're, that feels like, I think I think a lot about like the space in between the light and the dark, like the separation piece for me yeah. is kind of what is confusing. Like there's no muddled area. It's like there's day and night and darkness and light and there's and that was that. Yeah. You know, I, right. like, where's the space in between? Yeah. I love that. So so we've got so so far we've got good questions. We've got good questions and we'll start to take them apart a little bit in a second. What other questions do we have? I mean, I think something if we're just looking at this and, you know, taking away everything else that we know yes. about, you know, what happens after Genesis 1-5, and it kind of piggybacks off Craig's question, but, like, just why? Like, why he was saying, yeah. let there be light? Like, that isn't even explained. God was just, you know, I've always imagined it as, like, hovering over that, and it was, like, just, like, let there be light. Okay, well, right. why? Yes. Yes. Why light? Right? Why and light also, anything? also why creation? Yeah. Totally. And I always want to know, like, what was it before? Right? Like, I'm no, I know I just said it was the Armageddon meteor, and I'm sure that that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that that's not true. I'm guessing also that Bruce Willis was not there, if we're being real about it. But what, what was? And what possessed God to decide if God is a thing that decides? Right? To, do a th to, to create, because this is a verb, right? Bereshit bara, in the beginning, God created. But how, how did the beginning begin, and what was before it, and what was God doing, and where was God, and right? I want to know all of those things, too. What else? What else don't we know? The other thing that stands out to me is we don't know how long a day is. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Is it? Right? 24 hours. God's like, all right, I got this. Hold on. Let me start my clock. Let me see how much I can do in a day. I've got 45 minutes before I need to pick up my kid at aftercare from school. So I think I can get some of this done. Right? Yeah. 
totally. Totally. You noticing anything? You don't have to. I don't want to push anybody to participate. I think when I'm visualizing it, I see someone standing like in a black void and yeah. then everything forms around it. But for me, I guess what's missing is what that person is standing on. Yeah, <laughs> totally. The, the darkness uh, of the deep, the yeah. deep, and then sweeping over water. So there's water. There's water. Yeah. There's water. Yeah. How is there water? Because God didn't create any water. So there's water that got, so there's water that wasn't created. So the meteor is wet, <laughs> right? No. There is somehow there is already water that exists before, or that's not included in our narrative. I don't know, it's a given, or um, it's a product of something else. I don't know, when is the water created? Yeah, and also like, what is God? Okay, so now we've just <laughs> gone to like the real yeah. stuff, right? Because is God standing? Is God looking? Does God have legs or eyes, right? We have a picture in our head, but we have tiny human pea brains that can't imagine what else could be out there. But also we have amazing, magnificent human brains that have invented and created and done all kinds of things. And so what, what might be there, right? What might exists. Okay. We've asked a lot of questions. Now, what we know now is that creation makes almost no sense to us, right? Because this story is, um, is beautiful and compelling and the emotions that I think are elicited by reading this, that God created the heaven and the earth and before that happened, it was unformed and void and chaos and there was darkness and there was wind and it hovered over the deep, right? And so the things that pop into my head, right? Okay, fine, Armageddon on one hand, but also like cold, I think. I think when I think of the deep, I think of um, like it's undiscovered, right? These are all words that I imagine. And then God says, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that it was good, and God separated it from the darkness. And there was day, and there was night. And so there was evening, and there was morning, a first day. Mm. And so, with that text in our head, and all of the things that we have pointed out, that we are not sure of, that we have questions about, the things that we want to know or that we are asking, I'll tell you one of the things that stands out for me. One of the things that stands out for me is the way that God phrases the statement. God says, let there be light. What else do you, like that, that idea, let, let there be light. What does that bring to mind for you, that statement? I think a little bit of like, I don't know, it feels a little um, like royal, right? Or like superior or um, authoritative, like let there be tea, <laughs> right? Somebody else is going to do this, right? Mm. It's, God doesn't say, okay, 
I will now make light. God says, let there be light. What do you think about that? What do you think about that phrasing? Does that, is that in line with what you know from creation or what you have ever thought about creation? Or how does that change the way, the, the way that you imagine it, if it does at all? I think for me, I sort of imagine God as not so much in the superior fashion mm -hmm. of um, kind of something doing God's bidding in this situation, as much as I imagine God just pulsing so much with creativity hmm. that God's very words are able to bring into being things that weren't there before. And that in some way God delights in that because it's like, well, God is only wanting to bring into being things that are good and joyous and beautiful mm -hmm. in some way. I don't know. Yeah, I love that. Do we do that? Do we speak things into being? It's a good question. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Every time we ask a question or we say something or we hear a new idea, that now lives in our minds, mm. right? When you say a thing that I have not thought of, you have spoken into being an expansion of my mind so that I understand a thing that I did not understand before. We speak things into being all the time. So is it possible that that is exactly how God operates, that God spoke it into existence, let there be light, and it came from, I don't know, whatever God is inside, right? What did you say? Pulsing with creative energy or something, mm -hmm. right? Like, it just emerged. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent, I think that that's possible. Mm -hmm. If you look below at the second text that's on here, the first text is the text that comes straight from the Torah, right? That's Genesis. The second text is from a guy named the Ron Ban. Ram Bam is a guy who lived. His name is Moses, Rabbi Moses Ben Nachman. We're really into acronyms or your initials in uh, rabbinic naming. And so Rabbi Moses Ben Nachman gives you R-M-B-N. So he's the Ramban. Rabbi Moses Ben Maimon, who is Maimonides that you might have heard of. Oh, he's yeah. very famous. He's the Rambam. Rashi, who's our most famous commentator, is Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki. And so you just take, it's just their initials, right? So I'm Rabbi Emily Hyatt, and so I'm just the Re, <laughs> <laughs> which is disappointing at best, but I go with it and I put it on everything. It's fine. Um, so what does the Ramban have to say? And who is the Ramban, right? Because you have to know who you're learning from. I told you about me, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm no Ramban and never will be. But he <laughs> was born in 1194 in Spain. He died in 1270 in Israel. So he is, right? So now you can place him in history. Mm. And while for the purposes of this particular text, it doesn't matter all that much, sometimes it's fascinating to know from where and when they came. And like, what kind of persecution did they live through? Because it really influences their opinions on mm. whatever they're talking about. Or were they like, you know, what, what was their frame of influence? 
um, for the commentary that they have. So Ramban says about Genesis 1-3, which is the verse that says, uh, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so what is he commenting on? That's how this works. I'm walking you through. He says, and there was light. So that's the phrase that the Ramban takes particular notice of and wants to further explain. That's what the commentary is, right? He's saying, ah, this phrase, I have what to say about it. Now I will say it. So he's <laughs> laid it out for us. And what does he say? He says, here's what I noticed. I read through, what we just did is what the rabbis did. We read through and we said, here are all the things that are not here that I want to know about. And then the rabbis make up answers to them which is amazing, yeah. right? They fill in the gaps and the holes, and then we have 2,000 years of rabbis making things up that we get to fill in the holes with and decide whether we agree with them or not and what we want to make of them. And so Ramban says, the verse does not say, and it was so. So if you think back to all of the millions of times, I'm sure, that you have read or mm -hmm. never, I don't know, read the creation story, in all of the other days, it, it says um, different language. It says really different language. And I'm going to do exactly what you're doing. And I'm going to read to you for just a second <laughs> from the text because I'm so prepared. No, I'm just kidding. It's just all on my phone because why would I carry an actual text? Okay. So like, for example, day two, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the water that it may separate the water from the water. That makes no sense, but we're not talking about that one. <laughs> God made the expanse, and it separated the water which was below the expanse from the water which was above the expanse, and it was so. Third day, God called the expanse sky, and there was, oh, still second day, and there was, and there was sky, there was evening, and there was morning, a second day, third day, and God said, let the water below the sky be gathered into one area that the dry land may appear, and it was so. Next, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, seed-bearing plants, fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it, it was. was so. So the Ranban is noticing that it is not so mm. on the first day. And so what does he say? He says, as it was on other days, it was not said because the light did not remain in this state all the time, as did the other creations. Hmm. What? What does that mean? What do you think he means by that? What do you think he's trying to say? The light did not stay in this state like all of the other creations. What do you think? I'm picturing like Fantasia. Yes! Like when the light just travels around the black screen. Yes, like your eyes is a visualizer. Like mm -hmm. you can't, yes, exactly. Um, and you can't control it, it just does what it wants. Great. Yeah. Absolutely. Any other ideas? Any other just like throw them out their thoughts? Okay, so something that was interesting to me when we were talking about let there be light was like, the idea that God didn't create light, or the idea that he didn't create it then, but he was creating like time. Mm. Which, I don't Ooh. Know, but, Ooh. but that like, it didn't remain in this state all the time. Like it's about like the time. So he's creating like days to like, like he's creating, you know, the world and creation. Yeah. But that requires like- Human participation? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not that mm. I love it. Absolutely. There's something in here, right? God creates 
land and sea, God creates animals, and we, quite frankly, don't really have to do anything to, to, to let that be a thing that exists. We have to try really hard, as I understand you talked about a lot in season five, to not mess it up, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, we and we're not doing a very good job of that. <laughs> but for there to be zebras, all we have to do is not mess with the zebras, right? For there to be all of these animals and all of these plants and all of these fruit-bearing trees and for there to be people, all we have to do is let what God started keep going. Mm. But light is somehow different. And so number one, there's time because we know that even though the sun and the moon are not created until a little bit later in the story, there is day and there is night, and light is somehow associated with them. That's all we know here. It doesn't come together that that's a sun and moon kind of thing until later. And we, so time has to pass for there to be light. But we also know that generally speaking, outside of the sun and that giant flaming ball of gas, which we love so much, <laughs> what are our sources of light? Electricity, good, fire. Mm -hmm. the beautiful string lights that are in this library, which I love. We make light. Hmm. But also, when I started and I introduced myself to you and I said a whole lot of things about, right, like where did Reform Judaism come from? And I told you it came from a specific um, era in history that was called the Enlightenment, right? Isn't that funny, the way that that word comes back and... Mm that when we think of new ideas and when we think of new things and when we create new things and when you write cartoons about people having ideas, it's a, oh, a light bulb. Light bulb. Interesting. <laughs> right? And when we speak things into being, because we have this creative pulsing inside of us just like I think God does, we um, make light in theory, but it depends on whether or not Right? When you say something and I realize that I now know something that I didn't know before and that I will never unknow, mm -hmm. and all you have done is said, let there be light. It's up to me to figure out what I want to do with whatever it is that you have said. And quite frankly, it could be good or bad. You could have said something that lives inside me that has opened my mind, that has taught me something new and that allows me to see the world in a new way. You could have also said something, not that you ever would, that hurt me. Right? Words are infinitely powerful to expand and to shrink us. We get to decide what we want to do with them. We get to decide how we want to engage with them. And so that is, I think, that's the light. That's the light that God created is, are we going to be people that use light, that turn on lights? and see things for what they really are and what potential they have, or are we going to be people that live in the dark? And so if you turn over your text study, and we're gonna go through this one a little bit faster, because when we get into this, we're not in like such a like a hooey-wooey kind of place. We are at the end of the Torah. So the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30, we are approaching the end. And all of Deuteronomy is essentially um, this, right? It's a, it's a little bit of a retelling of what has happened. It is a recounting of some of the big moments that have happened because what happens between Genesis and Deuteronomy? Well, 
on the sixth day, God creates some people, and then those people do a whole lot of things for a little while, and then they end up in, Israel, in Egypt as slaves, and then it's not good because slavery is, uh, we know, not our favorite place to be. And so God and Moses free the people from slavery in Egypt. They cross the sea. They end up in the desert. They get the Torah those Ten Commandments and maybe some other stuff from God on the top of Mount Sinai. There's this little glitch in there in which they like create an idol and there's a golden calf and so there has to be a second set of the Torah giving being, being given. And because of that moment, which is the only reason we're mentioning it, they are not ready to go into the land of Israel and to become a people and to become a community and to start living their lives. They have to wander in the desert and that generation that was slaves, that slave mentality that they came out with, they need... They, they need to take a minute because it's a lot and it's hard and it's heavy and so they take a minute in the desert and a new generation is born and a new generation is grown and educated and enlightened in what the world is supposed to look like and what we're supposed to do and then finally we get to the banks of the river Jordan and we're about to enter into the land of Israel and then we sit there for like a whole freaking book and talk about it right <laughs> Moses is there and he's like okay let me give you all of these really long speeches I'm about to die and I'm not going with you so I have to tell you all of the things the book of Deuteronomy in my mind my kid doesn't ride a school bus but I've seen a lot of movies with school buses and in my and in my mind the book of Deuteronomy is like Moses is, is the mom you know or the dad like standing outside the school bus and and, and the people of Israel, like the children of Israel, like getting on the school bus for their first day of kindergarten. And Moses is like running after them, yelling instructions into the open window. <laughs> like being like, don't forget to share your yogurt with people and make friends and be nice to people and talk to the teacher. And like, don't forget to drink water, right? Like just whatever is coming to the mind of the, of the parent who is letting their kid be independent for the very first mm. time. And that's exactly what's happening. When the people go into the land of Israel, they're going in without Moses and they're going in on their own and they've got a lot that they've got to do. And so all of these speeches are happening and these instructions are being given and new laws and we're remembering old laws and there's the second time that we're getting a lot of the laws because we already have Leviticus, which is all about laws. So what happens? We get to the end. And God says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day, right? Watch this whole world that I have created, this entire universe, not just the people, but everything in it. Watch this moment. I have put before you, people, life and death. I have put before you blessing and curse. And in fact, we just spent a whole lot of verses talking about those blessings and curses. What happens if you follow the instructions? Good stuff. What happens if you don't follow the instructions? bad stuff. I have put it all before you. I've described it all to you in great detail. You know all about how the rain will fall if you do the good things and how you will get boils if you do the bad things, right? Like it's very descriptive. They're all in front of you. I have put before you life and death. I have put before you blessing and curse. And then God says, so choose life. Uvacharta b'chaim. So make, make a good choice, right? Mm so that you and your next generations will continue to live. Hmm. So choose life. So number one, this is like what a phenomenally important piece of text because number one, what it is saying from God, if you understand this text to be written by God, given to us divinely, then God said to us directly, it's your choice. I've told you a lot about what's going to happen. You know that there are good and bad things that will happen, and it is your choice. We have free will. 
There is no part of our text which pretends that we are not free-thinking, independent people, that we don't have a choice, mm -hmm. none of it. Number two, what it says is there is this beautiful life to be built and to be enjoyed if you can learn from all of this stuff that comes before you and make choices that are ideally good, beautiful choices. And so let's look at our commentary really quickly on that. The Sifre Devarim, it, this is a midrash. A drash is a, is a, is a story. Mm. It's an explanation. We know that these are stories that are created by the rabbis also, all the 2,000 years of all those guys, um, stories that are created by the rabbis to help fill in the gaps because there are so many gaps, right? And mm -hmm. so commentary is like, here's what I think happened, and Midrash is another version of that um, that, that weaves tales, essentially, to, um, to help us understand some of the things that are happening. And so what, this one is from the 8th century. And so what does it say? It says, behold, I set before you this day blessing and curse. That's the line that it's going to help us understand. Because it is written, so here's what the Midrash is saying. Because it is written, life and death I set before you, blessing and curse. Lest Israel say, since the Holy One, blessed be God, has set before us two ways, the way of life and the way of death, we can choose whichever we wish. It is therefore written, and you should choose the life, you and your children. So essentially, this is, it's really drawing out like the sort of parent theme, which is that, that the, the, the Midrash is saying there's definitely a choice, and God definitely has a preference, right? God would like you not to choose death. <laughs> God would really appreciate it if you didn't choose curse. God would love for you to choose life and blessing, but we're given both so that we know that at the end of the day, it is our choice. There's another commentary on here that I chose not to include because I didn't want to put too much text on here, but now I wish that I had. And <laughs> that commentary says that it's actually not, that, that part of this is to say you can choose life and therefore blessing and you can choose, right, death and therefore curse, right? That like if you do good things, you will have life and you will have blessing. And if you do bad, that these are all related. Hmm. And the commentary, the other commentary says there's going to be life and death, and there's going to be blessing and curse. It, we're all going to have it. It's going to be all of us. We're all going to have the good moments, and we're going to have the really mm -hmm. hard moments, and we are going to go through stuff that is easy and full of blessing, and we are going to go through stuff that is hard and feels like a curse. Everybody does that. And yet, even knowing that, we still have the opportunity to choose life. Mm. which is to choose our perspective, which is to choose light, right? So at the end of the day, we know that it is from us and for us to use however we want it. God did not create light and own it. Mm. God made light from inside God, I love that, and gave it to us to do whatever we could possibly do with it and to use it for good. And so when we say choose life, what we mean is choose to learn and to grow and to know and to be expanded, right? The people that are listening to this speech have never been settled. They have been wandering and hurting and probably very hot. The desert is uncomfortable, <laughs> 
right? And they're about to go into the land of Israel and make it bloom. And they get to decide whether it's going to be full of light or dark, whether it is going to be life or death or blessing or curse. And there's probably going to be a little bit of both of each of those. And yet they get to decide whether they are going to choose to look at the light and to find the light and see the light and build the light and therefore choose life. And when we first sat down, when Canon Broderick and I first sat down and had this conversation, what was really cool is that this text study was intended to be a way of looking at text. Mm. And so as your first text study of season six, I hope that what this <laughs> creates for you is a framework with which to see all of the text that you learn in this group and far beyond it in whatever communities you live in that it is for you to wrestle with, but it is also for you to find meaning in. And the reason that in the Jewish community, and I think in your community as well, whatever community everybody is coming from, but I know in your church, you also, you, you are on a cycle. Mm -hmm. And you yes. read texts over and over and over again. And probably by the time you get back to the same text, you're in such a different place mm. in your life and you get to make something so different of it. Choosing life has meant something different to me every time I have learned it and talked about it. Um, and we get to make the choice again and again to see what we need. And so what makes generative creative interpretation of Torah? You knowing where you are, who you are, and what you need to find from it. I think that's what it's there for. I am Broderick Greer, host of Mile High Theology, and I'm joined by Rabbi Emily Hyatt. Associate Rabbi for Denver's Temple Emanuel, and we are discussing two passages from the Torah. So as we close our time together, Rabbi Hyatt, are there questions, um, kind of follow-up? I mean, this is on some level been enlightening, on another level moving and compelling. Um, so any follow-up questions, advice, from Rabbi Hyatt in terms of reading your own sacred texts and your own traditions, or just even questions about the two texts that she shared with us tonight? I answered them all. Excellent. <laughs> My work here is done. I think a follow-up question I have, you know, it, it was very, it, it was fortuitous and also strange that when you and I were talking about this a few weeks ago, I was preparing to preach that next Sunday. Yes. And this Deuteronomy 30 passage was the one of the appointed readings for, I think it was like for you know Christians, the 13th Sunday after Pentecost. Great. And that comes up every three years. And... I think I kind of ended up saying something very um, similar to kind of what you said at the end, not as eloquently <laughs> um, and definitely not as wisely. Beyond us kind of bringing ourselves to text and being self-aware as we interpret text, 
what other practical advice do you have for people who want to be humble, faithful, and curious as they engage with sacred texts? Hmm. I think, I think that we do a lot of looking in when we study these texts and thinking, where am I and how do I need this to be for me and where do I need to see this and what do I need it to mean and how can I understand this particular line or word or verse in this moment? Um, we have a teaching, because I can't help myself. We have a teaching. <laughs> Rabbi Simcha Bunim of Pasischa said that every single day and this doesn't apply to women who obviously have dresses that don't have pockets. We were just talking about how annoying it is to be a human being trying to operate without pockets. He says that you're supposed to walk around with two pockets every day. So I'm going to have to change my whole wardrobe or wear a blazer all the time. You're supposed to walk around all the time with two pockets. And in one of those pockets, you are supposed to have a piece of paper that says, which means I am but dust and ashes. And on the other pocket, you have a piece of paper which says, Bishvili nivraha olam, which, says, which means, for me, the entire world was created. Mm. And if every time you look at a piece of text that you want to wrestle with or that you are asked to wrestle with by your community, you're thinking about yourself as one of millions. Who else needs for you to read the text in a way that brings them in? You are hmm. a speck of dust. There are billions of us. And we spend so much time thinking about how much room, not thinking about how much room we take up, but taking up all the room in our own stories, in our own lives, in our own narratives. And, the, and the, the job that we have is to have those pockets full all the time. You are, at the same time, one of billions. You are but dust and ashes. And at the same time, the whole world was created for you. You wow. are the center of your world, certainly. So how do you take up that space as the center? Read this text, this tradition, be a part of a community, have faith and make it something that makes all of those little specks of dust around you a little bit better and a little bit brighter, right? How do we use our own selves to make the world and the people around us more valued? And um, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Being humble is not saying, no, no, not me. It's saying, absolutely, absolutely me and you too. And mm. you, and you, and you, let's go, right? We're, we're going to, we all get to go, and we all get to do it together. That's, I think, what humility means. It's being nothing and everything all at the same time, and every part of our text has a way to understand that, that I think if we all were doing it would make the world a little bit, I don't know, better and brighter, we'd be using that light. Let's give Rabbi Hyatt a hand. Wow. Thank you. And I hope all of you understand exactly why she opened our season. Um, thank you. What I mean, a pleasure. What wisdom. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me and for listening and for learning with me. Um, what a pleasure to be with all of you today. While preparing for this episode, Rabbi Hyatt mentioned something profound that I'll never forget. 
People don't usually bond over accomplishments, but over failures and suffering. Sometimes it is only when we are honest and not putting our most glossy selves forward that we can appreciate the God who picks us up by our shattered pieces, the God who is able to create something beautiful and compelling and enlightening with our challenges. Thank you, Rabbi Hyatt, for your wisdom and care regarding the Torah. We look forward to hearing from you in the months and years to come, and I will gladly just give you this podcast because you just like are no, but can I come so back? This is so fun. Absolutely, yes. You are a rabbi in residence from yes. now on. So perfect. We just solved that. Malhai Theology is a production of St. John's Cathedral and Episcopal Church in Denver, Colorado. I offer special thanks, of course, to our guest, Rabbi Emily Hyatt, our communications director and producer, Evans Owsley, our digital ministry coordinator, Enrique Centron, our production coordinator, Sarah Strand, our host, Redline Contemporary Art Center, and you, our loyal listeners. This podcast was recorded on the land of Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. We give God great thanks for the 48 contemporary tribes that are historically tied to the lands that make up the contemporary state of Colorado. Join us next month when Dr. Amy Erickson of Iliff School of Theology speaks to us about the Hebrew Bible. Until then, please rate and review Malahi Theology on Apple Podcasts to enhance our digital visibility. Thank you. God bless you. See you soon.